I'm Sharon Gelman, and I'm from Washington, D.C., and I'm based in Laurel Canyon in Los Angeles. And I'm currently completing my MFA in fiction at Warren Wilson, and this is my first writer's residency. And I have to say that I'm hooked and grateful. This is what I want to do when I grow up. Nothing but write. Um, I'm going to read the opening of my novel, which until a few days ago was a flashback embedded in another chapter. And I was taking a walk up near Dog's Head Falls, and I had a eureka moment about the novel's structure. And that's part of what's been really amazing for me about being here is I can write, I can edit at home, but to be able to think about my work in a, in a sort of um, the microcosm of my work and the structure of my work, it's been much, much easier to do this here when I'm removed from the distraction of daily life and the only things I need to worry about are you know, my art and whether or not to like have a piece of the homemade bread. So um, the book is currently called Exile That Might Change. Uh, it's about South African and American characters, both black and white, whose lives have been altered by apartheid and their efforts to end it. Um, it's told um, through the viewpoints of several different narrators and also in different types of points of view, first and third and possibly second. And it spans the 1960s to the present time. Soweto, 1977. Tandi was five the day everything changed. After church, Ezra Conjuayo was sitting outside their house on the front step, reviewing a lesson plan for the following week while keeping one eye trained on his daughter and her friend Kosi, who were playing in the yard. It was a typical township yard, small, just dirt, encircled by a low cinder block wall. Ezra had built himself a few years back, right after Tondi had taken her first tentative steps in order to keep her out of the street. He was not naturally good at tasks like that, so it had taken him a long time. Jackson, who lived on the next street over back then, had wandered by and stopped to watch as Ezra worked. Huh, man, it's a good thing you're a teacher. Your family would starve if they had to depend on the fruits of your manual labor. He let out a baritone laugh. Then he picked up a brick and set to work alongside Ezra, and they'd been friends ever since. The day everything changed, Rafilway and Glory were heading off to a clandestine women's meeting in the back room at the church. They teased Ezra that his role of childminder might become permanent if the woman got their way. Whites have been oppressing us for over 300 years, but you African men, you've been oppressing us since time began, Rafilway said. It was an ongoing way she teased her husband, since they both knew which one of them was more likely to call the shots. He leaned, she leaned over, kissed Tandi on top of her head, and then reminded Ezra to set the girls down inside for a nap a couple hours before dinner if she'd not yet returned. Gloria instructed Kosi to mind her Uncle Ezra. That includes going to rest when he tells you, ne? Then the women set off toward the church, which was only a few doors down. Tandi needed to be taken inside to nap because when she grew tired, she could fall asleep anywhere, in the middle of the yard, lying on stones with trucks rumbling by, at the crowded dinner table with everyone talking over each other, curled up in Ezra's lap at parties in the midst of raucous laughter and heated debate, in church leaning back against Rafilway's chest while the choir sang loud enough to call back the dead. No matter where they were, Tandi could free fall into sleep like a toy whose battery had given out. She played that way too, oblivious to danger, head thrown back in laughter, 
launching herself off a table or a chair at Ezra or Rafilway with a full-bodied faith that because they were her parents, because they loved her, they would always catch her. At first, Ezra had marveled at her abandon, but after a while it became like a stone he carried, the weight of all that unearned trust. Ezra watched his wife walk away, her narrow back, the rolling sway of her hips as she headed down the street. It was afternoon and the air was still warm. It smelled of cooking smoke and grilled meat and the sweetish stench of old urine. She turned around once and sent him a quick kiss in that way she often did, pressing two fingers to her lips and then holding up her hand as if taking a pledge. He reached up as if to grab it, made a motion of putting it in his shirt pocket. Raphael shook her head and he could see her laugh. She was too far away for him to hear the sound rising and falling like water over rocks. The women slipped inside the church and Ezra turned his attention back to the lesson plan. He finished adding his notes to the outline, then he leaned back against the door and watched Tandi and Kosi play. The girls had invented a game that involved chasing each other, dress sashes flying, calling each other by animal names. Here, kitty, kitty. Come here, little zebra. Come, doggy dog. Then they started spinning around and around, Kosi's blue dress twirling about her, Tandi's yellow dress ballooning out like a bell. Between bursts of laughter, they called to each other, You're a warthog. Uh-uh, I'm a lion. You're a monkey. No, no, I'm a mouse. They spun until they were too dizzy to continue, laughed until they were out of breath, and then they fell to the ground in an entwined heap. Ezra was thinking he should have made the girls change their clothes before they started playing because their mothers would not be happy that their dresses had gotten dirty. He was thinking he should scold them, but they were having so much fun. Then, out of nowhere, sirens. A police van, tires screeching, men in uniform shouting, the loud cracking pop, 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 pop of gunfire, the crash of rock hitting glass. Women streaming out of the church, running in all directions. Ezra ran to the girls, grabbed them into his arms, and hurried inside. He kicked the door shut, shouting, Quick, quick, get down, lie down under the table. Tondi clambered off of him and slid down under the kitchen table, crying, but Kosi did not move from his arms. That was when he felt the wetness, noticed the metallic smell like copper coins. That was when he realized. He tried to staunch the bleeding, but it seemed to be coming from everywhere at once. He held on to her as the life drained from her small body in hot red spurts. After that day, Tandi grew tentative and cautious. After that day, she began to have trouble falling asleep. That became the new stone Ezra carried, and the weight of valid fear was heavier than misplaced trust.